Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me today. I'm Jana Harmon, and you're listening to the Side B Podcast, where we listen to the other side. Each podcast, we listen to the story of a former atheist who changed their mind and came to believe in God. We explore both sides of their life, their life and views as atheists, what made them become open to another perspective, why they decided to become Christians, and how their lives have changed. There are seemingly many reasons to reject God. One of them is disappointment with God. God doesn't really seem to be there to answer prayers. He seems to be missing in action and he doesn't see or hear us when we ask for him to intervene, to do something. In my doctoral research, I asked more than 50 atheists why they didn't believe that God existed. On the survey, They could select all kinds of answers, including a lack of all kinds of objective evidence. But one of the most surprising findings was that the number one answer given to this this question was a lack of subjective evidence for God. That is, they doubted his existence because he didn't show up in some personal way in their lives. If there was expectation, It was followed by disappointment. If God exists, he's not good, or perhaps God just isn't there. But no matter the reason for disbelief, it always begged the question for me, what made them change their mind about God and become a Christian? What made them look to the other side, to side B, another perspective? There must have been something that outweighed their prior doubt disappointment and belief. Today we'll be talking with Brandon McConnell. That's his story. He was a former atheist who came to Christian faith against all odds. Welcome to the podcast, Brandon. It's so great to have you on the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. As we're getting started, Brandon, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, my name is Brandon McConnell. I'm 39 years old. I actually turned 40 in October. Um, I live right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm married. I have four kids and a golden doodle. A golden doodle. I love dogs. I love dogs. I have two goldens myself. They keep you busy. Sometimes yeah. even more than the children, I must say. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm actually not a dog person, but uh, my my wife and kids love dogs. We needed something hypoallergenic, and I actually like him better than any dog I've ever had. So, Well, it, yeah, it's hard not to like dogs, especially anything with a golden mix. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Brandon, let's, let's start your story. You are a former atheist, so that started somewhere. So why don't you give me a little bit of framework for where you grew up? What was the culture in which you um, grew up? Was it religious? What is it not religious? Was it nominally religious? Why don't you tell me about the community and the culture in which you were raised? I grew up in a uh, very small town in Western Pennsylvania, and it was almost entirely Catholic, uh, Roman Catholic. And I was kind of like an outsider because I wasn't Italian. I wasn't Catholic and I, I, I wasn't religious Christian, whatever at all. Um, and everybody just did the Catholicism thing. What do you mean by that? Did the Catholicism thing that there was a sense in the community that it was just part of the the furniture there that there the the rituals and the rhymes of of yeah. Catholic faith were around. Like when I when I was in late elementary school and junior high and high school, they had like these classes that they went to after school to learn more about Catholicism and the Catholic Church. Like CDC, I think was one of the acronyms I always heard, and it just seemed like everybody was part of something that I had no idea what was going on. And I grew up out in the country outside this town and, you know, not a lot of people around. My my parents were super duper poor and just I had a very isolated upbringing. It was just me and my brother for the most part. Me and my brother weren't interested in the same stuff. So in your family, 
Brandon, did they have any kind of religious reference at all? Or even, even if they didn't have any kind of religious faith, did they give you any understanding of, of Catholicism maybe because it was around you or even references to God or even through Christmas, any kind of culture reference? Did they, did they speak to you in that way? Yeah. We celebrated Christmas because that was the day to get presents. We celebrated Easter because that was the day to get candy. But as far as an actual faith in an actual God, uh, I don't remember any of that being part of the narrative um, until I went looking for it myself, quite frankly. Mm. So there wasn't any overt rejection of God. It just wasn't in your family in terms of an understanding that God's real or, or whatever. It was just a cultural, cultural reference. Yeah, I would say it was a very apathetic approach to the existential things that face us. <laughs> right, right. So, so you were just living life and yeah. go, going with the flow. Yes. So no real belief in God as a child. You just never gave God much thought. No, not at all. Okay. So you're moving along and, and through high school and, and you're just uh, without thinking about God and these existential questions. What, what did you think, or did you give any thought to what religion was at that point? Or was it just a cultural reference? Um, it, it was a cultural thing that I wasn't a part of. And as I got older, I started to see it as weakness. Like, man, you know, why do these people need this God? Why do they need this Jesus that they talk about? Um, why is that such a need for these weak-minded people? It is the way I approached it. It's what I thought. Mm-hmm. So it was for, you didn't mind being an outsider, I guess, because it, you had a negative view towards Christians and Christianity eventually. Yeah. So. You touched on something there. Being an outsider is, I don't know, it's, it's always been the way I was. Um, I didn't have a ton of friends growing up. I lived out in the middle of nowhere. Um, I spent most of my time out in the woods exploring and hiking and just spending time alone. And I kind of liked it that way. I'm very much, I'm an introvert who fakes extroversion really well. How about that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, So you're moving along in your life and then what happens that that might disrupt your life or or that makes a difference and makes you open towards the possibility of God? Well, there was a huge disruption when I turned when I was eighteen, um, and I actually had to get further from God before I could even consider that He existed. Um, what? My dad died when I was eighteen. Um, I was. I was at where I was working construction at the time. I was notified that my father had a heart attack. I was living in North Carolina. He was living in Pennsylvania. And he was actually on a business trip in Virginia when he had this heart attack. And I immediately just fell to the ground. And just something told me that my dad was going to die. Like I just knew my dad was going to die. He was not going to survive this heart attack. And I started to pray this sobbing, tear-soaked prayer um, to God as I understood him at the time, or as I considered him at the time, and begged him to spare my dad's life. And I did not get what I wanted. We unplugged him from the machines three days later. Mm. That must have been incredibly difficult. Yeah. Yeah, one of the hardest things I've been through, for sure. So that unanswered prayer, um, what did it do for you in terms of your view of God at that time? Uh, It gave me the opinion that either he flat out didn't exist, or if he did exist, that he was a very scornful and hateful being. Hmm. And the way that manifested itself in my life was he couldn't exist. He doesn't exist. And I went to war with God for the next five years. Went to war. 
Those yes. are those are pretty strong fighting words, really. Yeah. How did that? I mean, what did that look like? Anywhere I saw anybody practicing any sort of faith in God, I would ridicule, I would confront, I would antagonize, I would belittle. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, I was, I was an idiot, but I was a very outspoken idiot. <laughs> I, you know, I can remember one time being at a bookstore and taking a stack of Bibles and putting them in the religious fiction section, just silly, petty, little stuff like that um, to, to express to the world my opinion, my beliefs, my hatred of God and anybody that was weak enough to believe in a God. Okay, so you were pretty extroverted in terms of your your views against God, your your overt rejection of him and anything it sounds like anything that represented him. I guess particularly yeah. Christianity that that you rejected the Judeo-Christian God specifically because <sighs> I presume that's the God you pray to. Well, it's tough to say who you're praying to when you don't have any education, no basis of faith, never read a Bible or a Quran or just anything. Um, but yeah, I would have said the Judeo-Christian Christian God because that was that that was the the what I saw people putting their faith in at the time. Mm. So you were rejecting God. It sounds like you were probably 18. To, you said four to five years into your early 20s. So you were rejecting God. Did you understand what you were embracing in terms of the opposite or different or what was your reality or what did you where did you find truth or substantiation for your own worldview at that time, your own way of thinking? I worshiped at the Church of Science. I thought okay. science had all the answers. I believed the big bang, I believed in macro evolution. Basically, everything that was taught in science class in, in high school and college, That's I was sold out to that 100%. That there was no need for God, that hypothesis. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, yeah. So you're moving along, and why don't you tell me, uh, just keep going on with your story. What happened next? So after my dad died, I, uh, I moved back from North Carolina to back to Pennsylvania. Uh, my mom was really struggling just financially, psychologically. Um, so I moved back in with my mom at, in my, I think I would have been about 19, 20 at the time. And I started going to college. Um, I always wanted to fly planes. So I, I took out a bunch of loans and I went to a uh, professional piloting school near where I grew up. And I, I was doing that, and I still remember 9-11 happened my first semester in flight school. Oh, my. Um, completely changed the entire game uh, and basically all the piloting jobs for the foreseeable future dried up overnight. And they had a dual piloting slash air traffic control program, so I switched over to air traffic control, did a couple semesters at ATC, and then over the summer one year, um, this was when God showed up in my life and my faith in science and medicine and everything was crushed. What happened? So I'm in ATC school and I was drinking, doing drugs, hanging out, partying, just living that lifestyle. And I woke up one morning to the sound of my phone ringing and I couldn't see, like I'm looking at the screen on my phone. It's back in the day, the old flip phone. So it wasn't like an iPhone or something like that. Um, and I couldn't read the screen on my phone and I'm rubbing my eyes and I'm like, man, what's going on? Everything was just super, super blurry. Mm. And my brother came in my room and I, like, I could tell it was a person standing there. I couldn't recognize my brother. Like my eyes were really, really blurry. and had my brother take me to the eye doctor. They did what's called a visual field test, which basically means you push a button every time you see a light light up, a different 
areas of a screen in front of you. And what that revealed was 80% of my visual field was blocked out. And what your brain does when that happens is it tries to fill in the gaps. And when it fills in the gaps, it just makes everything really, really blurry. Um, mm. So I went from the eye doctor to the hospital in the back of an ambulance because they thought I had a tumor on my ocular nerve. And I spent the next two weeks in the hospital, MRIs, CAT scans. Uh, they did a spinal tap because they thought I could have multiple sclerosis. Um, many, many, many different things. I was in the hospital for two weeks. I couldn't read. I couldn't watch television. Um, all I could really do was sit there and think. And I felt fine. Like I was healthy. Like I didn't feel sick. Um, but I couldn't see. Mm. And that started to crack the door to maybe science doesn't explain everything. Maybe, you know, medicine isn't worthy of my worship because it was very frustrating having something clearly going on and nobody was able to explain it to me. Well, I'm sure that was disconcerting in many ways, just the whole episode itself and that science didn't live up to your expectations there. And I can't imagine what it would be like to sit there and just be able to think for two weeks and not do much <laughs> else. Uh, you know, when you back away from life and then you're, you're in this disrupted place and then it, it, it's a sobering thing. So yeah. what happened, what happened to your visual issues? Did they resolve or? So after two weeks, um, I just looked at the doctor one day. I was like, look, nothing's getting done here. I can, you know, it does, it's not cheap to stay in the hospital. I was like, I can go home and feel fine and not be able to see, like, we're not accomplishing anything. So I checked myself out of the hospital, had my brother take me home. And about week three, it started to clear up. And I was, I was selling TVs at Circuit City at the time. Uh, this was when I was in college. I was like, I can go back to work. Like, I just need to get out of the house. I was, I'm not built to sit still. Like, I am not a <laughs> do-nothing type of guy. Um, so I, I just finally said, look, Justin, that's my brother. I was like, you can drive me back and forth to work. I can see well enough to, to sell TVs. I just can't see well enough to drive. And that's what I did. And it eventually, slowly cleared up to the point where I... I was back to normal probably a month, month and a half after it all started. We're going to quickly pause our story for a moment so that I can tell you a little bit about the C.S. Lewis Institute. For over 40 years, the Institute has been committed to developing wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ who will articulate, share, defend, and live their faith in personal and public life. Please consider making a donation to the C.S. Lewis Institute. To donate, go to our website at www.cslewisinstitute.org and click Donate. Thank you. Now let's get back to our story. So in that period of time, and you had some time for reflection and contemplation, you know, sitting there as well as even as things were not back to normal, did you ever consider you were you were disappointed with science, but were you willing to reach out then again to God or anything, even though he had disappointed you the first time? I never really considered that option at that time. Um, I knew science was coming up short, but I didn't see where God fills the gaps. And mm. I don't, I get very frustrated when people say that science and God are inconsistent or incompatible. Um, science and God are very compatible, except for when we get to the origins of how everything got started. Um, I, I think science, be belief in science and the scientific method is important and so, you know, but it's not as important as my faith in Jesus, but it's it's important to understand how things around us work. And, you know, science is just basically the, the study of how God created things. Mm. Um, so I'm not one of those like science rejecting. Like if I got sick, I'm going to the doctor. I'm not going to pray for, you know, 
I'll pray for healing, but I'm also going to go to the doctor. I'm not one of those people that's going to let my kid die because we, you know, we have faith in God. So we're not going to leverage science to, to solve our problem. Right. Yeah. I'm glad you made that clear because, because I, as you say, science and God are very compatible. So it's not a re- it's not a rejection of science outright. It's just a rejection of science as perhaps the ultimate explainer. Yeah, it's the rejection of seeing science as the solution to every problem that we have. And I, I mean, we're seeing that right now with this with this COVID nineteen stuff. We are seeing the shortcomings of men who like to play God and act like they can solve every problem we have. Um, it's, and when you put your faith in men to solve everything and and you trust them and you take their advice and it, it can be described as, it's not far short of worship, um, for science and the scientific community. We're seeing where that comes up short right now. Yes, I hear what you're saying. Absolutely. So you were in this place, back to your story again, you were in this place of where your your visual problems were resolving gradually and you were yes. returning back to work. But did how did that uh how did that play out in terms of your life and the and uh, perhaps was it playing on obviously some of your physical impairment of, affected you know, your ability to do things like drive and that, but did it affect you emotionally at all? It had dramatic effects on me emotionally. Um, I was on, I was told I was taking the largest dose of prednisone that they could prescribe legally. And it was, it was an IV drip. Um, and I don't know if you've ever taken, uh, steroids, um, the steroid. Yes. Um, Good Lord, did it. I was just absolutely miserable. It made me want to eat everything and kill anybody. Like I was, just, <laughs> okay. and I gained, I, I gained a massive amount of weight in a very short amount of time. I was laying in a hospital bed. Um, and I just irritable, very, very, very irritable. And, uh, so yeah, that definitely had an effect. Um, but I, you know, I checked myself out of the hospital. I went back to work. Things cleared up and I started to go back down the, the course of my life. I had to drop out of school. I'd missed too much school. Um, and to be honest with you, I had a lot more interest in being a pilot than I did being an air traffic controller. I wasn't very good at keeping those dots on that screen that were one day going to represent hundreds of lives. I wasn't very good at keeping them from running into each other, which is a problem. <laughs> well, that is a problem. Yeah. So I dropped out of ATC um, and shortly thereafter made the decision to move to North Carolina because my whole family has migrated from Western Pennsylvania to North Carolina um, over a a couple year period. It's kind of strange. Um, So I moved down here. I started working in real estate for my uncle. And shortly after I got down here, it happened again. Mm. Stuff happened again. And the first time didn't really freak me out, but the second time, man, it, it just, it shook my entire foundation of everything. And I, I was, it, it didn't last nearly as long this time, but I was like, man, there's really something wrong with me. Nobody can explain to me what it is and it's happening again. Wow. I bet that was incredibly disconcerting. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, that was when, that was when I started to consider alternative explanations for (laughs) how we all got here. And, and, um, I dipped my toe into a lot of different worldviews, uh, in, in the swimming pool of a lot of different worldviews. Um, I looked into Buddhism. I looked into I, basically I explored everything but Christianity first because that was what people were wanting me to look into. You know, I have aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff like that who are Bible believing Christians. And 
I don't like to be part of the crowd. Like I like to do my own thing. So I looked at everything other than Jesus first. And it all came up short, man. Like it, it all came up short. Mm. Um, and every system of faith that I looked into was man striving to reach God. And that just fundamentally goes against who I see myself as a person. Like I'm not a pleaser. I'm not going to, I'm not somebody that wants to make as much as you can humanize God. I'm not somebody that wants to try to make God happy at that time. Obviously now I want to make God happy, but in my misunderstanding and my lack of knowledge of his greatness and sovereignty and beauty, um, I was anti-God, so I was anti-anything that was me striving to please anything outside myself. Yes. So these other worldviews were coming up short, but obviously you didn't stop there. You ended up turning somehow towards the one faith that you were trying to avoid. Tell me about that. So I had a family member come over to visit when, uh, when you know, the, the blindness or whatever you want to call it had set in again. And we were sitting on my couch in my apartment and she was like, she hit me with, she, she was very, everybody walked on eggshells around me when it came to things of faith because they knew where I stood and they knew how aggressive I had been. But she shared with me the story of, Saul on the road to Damascus. And she told me that the Lord blinded him to get his attention. And I wouldn't show it at the time, but man, did that rock my world. Give her the satisfaction of acting like that affected me, but holy cow, did that affect me. And that interaction was what got me to start actually looking into the evidence of things like the resurrection and which, you know, that's the linchpin of Christianity, right? If the resurrection doesn't happen, none of it happened. Right. Um, and I'm very cynical, very like I, I need evidence. I need proof. And it was at that point that I started to put Christianity on the same playing field and the same burden of evidence um, as I did for science. There are things, if like if you believe in macro evolution, like humans evolved from pond scum to you know what we are now, there are massive, massive gaps in the the line of explanation of how this happened and like to think that this clump of cells over here evolved into a toenail and this clump of cells over here somehow evolved into the medulla oblongata like it just didn't make sense and i started to applies so the same burden of evidence I had for evolution well if that's my worldview I have to apply I have to allow that for Christianity and I just started to pursue what made the most sense what was the best explanation while allowing for the fact that I was not going to ever have an absolute 100% explanation of anything any worldview requires faith and I prefer to put my faith in what makes the most sense. Um, it's like looking at, and, and I'm sure you've heard this, this, this example or this uh, metaphor before, but if you look at a house, it makes more sense to look at a house and say, yep, somebody built that than it does to say, yeah, that just came from nowhere. Like it just doesn't make sense. Right. When I started to allow for that, burden of evidence and, and just be a little bit easier on Christianity. It doesn't mean I turned my brain off. Um, I did so much more thinking to come to the Christian worldview than I ever did 
to come to the evolution, big bang, scientific worldview. Um, that was spoon fed to me by authority figures. Um, and I always thought that, that Christianity was spoon fed to believe. And, and for some people it is like, there's a lot of Christians who don't know why they believe what they believe. Um, and I think that's why you see so many people falling away from the faith and churches closing and stuff like that, because they're not getting asked the hard questions and offered explanations early in life. Um, so yeah, that's what cracked the door. And just one night that same, uh, it was my aunt. That same aunt invited me to go to this thing called the power team. Um, <laughs> it's for little kids. If you don't know what the power team is, it's uh, they're basically big, beefy, strong felons uh, who put their faith in Jesus. And they do these feats of strength and share the gospel. And... Uh, so I, 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 after the story of the road of Saul on the road to Damascus, um, I was invited to that. I went and they did the altar call and I, <laughs> I was a passenger in my own ship at that point. I could not resist getting up and walking down there. You know, and I'm 20, 23, 24 at the time. And it's me and a bunch of second graders down there, um. <laughs> even the Lord. And I, I, I haven't looked back. I mean, it's it's been a crazy, crazy ride. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Just to back up for just a moment, obviously, you were investigating things that made the Christian world make sense, or it was you were open enough to see perhaps evidence in a new way and yeah. see things come together. And then you were invited to this event and you, you talked about them um, giving the gospel. What, mm -hmm. what, what do you mean by that? What is the gospel? What was it there that was so compelling that you couldn't resist? It was at that point that I really, like one of these guys had a manslaughter charge. Like he killed somebody, went to prison, served time, was saved through prison ministry. And he's talking about how there's nothing you can do that Jesus can't redeem. And my entire growing up time around all the Catholics and, and all the rituals sur surrounding Catholicism, they always put on this shiny new penny exterior. And I looked at it and I was like, A, I'm never going to be that good. And B, who wants to be? Um, and I thought that's what Christianity was. And this guy, I have no idea who he is. I'll never see him again. And he'll probably never hear this, but he's talking about the things that he did that Jesus redeemed. And I was like, holy cow, I've done nothing compared to this. And it's not, there's no hierarchy of sin. There's no sin worse than another from God's perspective. But as human beings, we tend to do that. We tend to put you know, oh, I said a cuss word versus I killed somebody. They're not even on the same playing field. But, you know, the word of God does not does not draw that hierarchy of sin. And for me, that was extremely compelling because it caused me to get out of my seat and go down there and receive this Jesus that he was talking about. And I still had a very, very, very limited understanding of what this thing was, but I just wanted that joy. I wanted that release of a burden of living, living under this, this sin that I was entrapped in. Um, yeah. And so I had to do a lot of self-study, a lot of reading and learning and, and listening um, over the last, I guess, decade and a half now, um, to get where I'm at. But man, I'm so thankful for the way that I grew up and the way that I had to go through everything because I have a much stronger faith now than most people who grew up in the church because it wasn't my default. It wasn't my automatic. It wasn't I never take it for granted because it hasn't always been here. Right. And like you say, there was so much as, as compared to the 
the default atheism that you fell into, you had to really be open and work towards finding a worldview that you thought was really true and real and explanatory that it was but once you found the the gospel that nugget of of truth and who Jesus is and that he can make sense of your life and that he can forgive you and set you free yeah that made all the difference so so since you've been living in this for the last 15 years how how have you changed? It sounds like you've done a lot of study. Um, has your life and and all of those so, things that, I mean, have you felt a, quite a difference because of the gospel, because of Jesus, because of the way that you understand the world now? How yeah. has that affected your life? Yeah, so I can still, man, I still remember it like yesterday. I literally said to myself, all right, so I guess I'm a Christian now. And life will be easy. Thank God. Life's going to finally be easy. <laughs> God was laughing at that thought. <laughs> because life isn't easier when you when you have faith in Jesus. If anything, my life has gotten harder. Like I've lost a house in foreclosure. My wife has had a miscarriage. I've got four kids now. Life is, <laughs> life is harder with kids than it is without kids. <laughs> Um, I'm married. Life is harder when you're married than it is when you're not married, but it's worth it. Um, there's just more purpose and more meaning in my life than there ever was going to be without what I go through with God on my side. Um, and like I spent after I was in real estate in from the time I moved to North Carolina until 2009, which Anybody that knows recent history knows what we went through in 2008, 2009, especially in the real estate market. Um, I, I I decided to go to the police academy at that point, and I went and became a cop. I was a cop for five years. And one of the things, you know, God still gives me these little nuggets of evidence and proof and truth. And there's a book I read called Cold Case Christianity. It's written by a detective, and he talks about conspiracies and how conspiracies work and if Christ, if the resurrection of Christ was a conspiracy um th there's a couple things you have to have for a good conspiracy to work and one of them is very few people a very short amount of time and massive gain for keeping the conspiracy together and for all the parties involved and there were 11 disciples plus a couple of ladies that attested that Jesus rose again. And that, you know, 10 of the 11 died horrible deaths because they wouldn't say Jesus didn't rise again. And there was no motivation, like there was no financial gain for doing it. So, I just I started looking at all these different things and having investigated conspiracies myself. God, that is so true. Like if you can get people if you're investigating a conspiracy, if you can get people separated, give it time and and take away the the motivation to keep it together. Holy cow. It, the things unravel very, very, very quickly um, when you get the parties involved and you start interrogating them and stuff like that. And that's exactly what happened to the disciples like. They were together when they saw him risen again. Jesus ascended and they scattered and they never changed their story, man. They, I mean, they were, they were facing death, very painful deaths, um, you know, crucifixion. And, and I, I think one or two of them was beheaded all because they wouldn't say that Jesus didn't die and rise again. And that's just so powerful for, for someone like me who just demands proof, demands evidence. And I don't see many Christian leaders talking about things like this. Um, like I'm a total apologetics nerd. And I just, I love, I don't know. I love that world. I actually want to get more into that world and, and explore more because it's so fascinating. Um, 
I wish, you know, I wish there was surveillance evidence of Jesus coming out of the tomb, but there's not. Like, there's no cameras. <laughs> so you have to look at the proof that you've got available. And it is, uh, I don't know, the older I get, the longer I look into it. And I mean, I'm skeptical with God. I'm like, God, did that really happen? Um, one of my biggest points of skepticism is the book of Jonah. Like, God, that dude really go into the stomach of a fish for three days and then come out like, even now, but God can handle your skepticism. Like it's, it's okay. It's okay to question God. It's okay to have that skepticism and, and just really question everything about what you believe. Because in the end, Christianity can meet all of that. We'll return to our story in just a moment, but first I'd like to ask you a few questions. Have you ever wondered what heaven is really going to be like? What we will look like? What we will do? We all have questions about what heaven will look like. And after 25 years of extensive research, Dr. Randy Alcorn has the answers. On January 22nd, 2021, the C.S. Lewis Institute will have a live stream event with Dr. Randy Alcorn and Randy will be teaching about heaven. You can find out more about this live stream event and register on the C.S. Lewis website, www.cslewisinstitute.org. If for some reason you missed this episode, you can always find it in our resources area. Now let's get back to our conversation. Brandon, it sounds like you've really done a lot of thinking more than just in your hospital bed for two weeks. You know, yeah, it sounds like it sounds like it sounds like what began there has really continued for years now, and even just fostered a greater hunger to know what is true. And and what I too appreciate about you is that you're honest with your skepticism and doubt. I think so many people want to hide that or or not admit it or not think too deeply because of their their own questions, but you don't let your questions yeah. get in the way. You actually use them as a source. Well, it, if, you ha- if you have a question about your faith and you don't want to ask that question, it's because it's not because you're afraid of offending or hurting God. It's because you don't want to cause trouble or you don't want to make waves in the church. It's people pleasing is what it is. And I didn't come here to please people. I came here to please God. And I'm going to do that to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Counseling is really a great example, too, of perhaps how we should all be really seeking actively Um no matter really what the cost and and what the challenge or what the consequence. So Brandon, as we are wrapping up, you have given so much good advice in, in so many ways, but I wonder if you could speak directly to perhaps a curious skeptic who might be listening to this podcast perhaps someone who's been disappointed with an unanswered prayer or thought God didn't show up in some way or, or anything else, uh, what would you say to them? I would say when I was an atheist, I used to look at the, the men and women who were in the church, in the faith. And I would see, sometimes I would see hypocrisy. Sometimes I would see shortcomings and failings. And I would say, yep, that's God. And I would encourage people to look beyond the people and look for God. There, there's a lot of stuff that men and women do in the name of God that is a really crappy representation of who God actually is. Um, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most offensive message that there is to the unsaved because fundamentally it's the revelation that you're not God. There's nothing you can do to be like God in your own power. And it's the, it's the message that, you know, you need a savior. Like you sin, you've fallen short of God. You're not in control. And there's nothing you can do in your own power to earn salvation. You have to accept what Christ has provided, the sacrifice he provided on the cross in order to be saved. 
And that is very difficult for someone like me to accept. But it's also very liberating because it frees you from that burden of trying to be a good little boy or a good little girl. I still screw up every day. I sin every single day. I probably sinned before I got on this podcast. That's just, that's, that's the nature that I was given by Adam. Um, but God's made a way. And I think if we would get down to the business of actually considering the evidence as it's presented and put that evidence on the same playing field for the things that we believe by faith, no matter what your worldview is, I think Christianity is, uh, the Christian worldview is a giant among other worldviews when you really look at the evidence and you really consider everything. Mm. That's good advice. I know, I know that there are some skeptics who would say there is no evidence for God. How would you respond to that? Um, <laughs> to say there's no evidence for God. Well, first of all, if you don't believe it's because you don't want to believe like that. We just have to get that off the table. Um, I didn't believe in God because I didn't want to believe in God. But man, if you just look at the world, just look at what you can see and touch with your hands, the way everything works in perfect harmony. We have the earth tilted at a certain degree to give us seasons. We've got, you know, the water cycle. We've got nature that it just works in perfect harmony. We've got Man creates carbon and trees eat carbon for food. And, you know, we treat carbon like it's a it's a pollutant. Um, Just all of these different systems. And then look inside of a cell, like things that we can see so much better now than when Darwin was alive and see the inner workings of a cell is just amazing. It's a universe inside of a tiny little thing under a microscope. And, and the way that, you know, the human body works and just, there's, there's so much that tells me this wasn't just a happy accident. We didn't just all come here because of some cosmic explosion with no guidance and no direction. And I get it. I used to believe that because I was programmed that from an early age from through the education system. Um, but I just, I think if people look at the world around them, Without the filter, without the, the, the script that they've been forced to read their whole lives, um, God reveals himself. God shows up. Um, yeah. So I don't have any concrete proof. There's no, you know, I, I can't show you that. But if you look for it, you'll see it. Hmm. I think that's, that's pretty critical. You obviously reached a point to where you were willing to see. And mm-hmm. for a lot of us, that, that really is, there are things we don't want to see and there are things that we're willing to see. And it, it really does take some intentionality of the will. Yeah. So and I mean, I it's pre- called faith for a reason. It's, it's, but I put my faith in what makes the most sense. I don't put my faith in something I've been told to believe. I've actually searched it out for myself. And, and, and you know, I put my faith in the the thing that explains things the most the best mm. for me that ain't science and that that that's not the big bang and it's not uh, it's not evolution mm. and one thing that gets overlooked a lot is Darwin actually started to doubt his theory towards the end of his life nobody talks about that yeah that that may not be convenient to their narrative it's okay doesn't mean it's not true. Mm. <laughs> So, yeah. So in terms of your advice, turning the page to Christians, perhaps, I mean, you are a very thoughtful Christian who takes your, your faith very seriously. Your beliefs are grounded. Um, You, you also appreciate the fact that some Christians don't live in a way that's attractive, obviously to, to onlookers. Uh, What would you like to say to the Christian right now? Why do you believe what you believe? 
I think a lot of Christians have never asked themselves that question. And I'm, I'm raising four kids right now and they can tell you the gospel. They can tell you, but that's not good enough for me because I want my kids to know why do you believe what you believe? Why is that just something you were told or, you know, have you, have you seen any evidence of that? I hammer my kids. Um, I, uh, I, you know, cause I don't want them to go out into this world with this, a foundation made out of sand. And when the, the second they see, uh, a, a, a counter worldview, they just crumble like a house of cards. And that's what happens in colleges and universities all over the country, uh, with young adults. Cause they've never been challenged. They've never thought they've never studied apologetics and, and they just, you know, they've never, They've never had to debate for it. It's just been given to them. And uh, that's weak. And I don't, I don't want, I I don't want kids with weak faith. Mm. For those Christians who actually, uh, perhaps apologetics is a new term for them. Can you explain what apologetics is? Apologetics is being able to argue for your faith uh, with evidence from the Bible and with evidence from outside the Bible. Um, that's how I understand it. Anyhow, there's probably a better definition that you could get from somebody like Frank Turek, uh, but I don't have a better definition. I'm a knuckle dragger apologist. I, I, take, <laughs> I take the complex and I distill it down to the simplest explanations that I can come up with. Mm, no, that's, that's a great explanation. So thank you for that. Is there anything else you would like to add to our our conversation together today, anything that's, uh, that's come up in your mind? Um, if, if this has, has sparked an interest or a curiosity in anybody, I, I would say just seek. Um, seek because not seeking has consequences. Mm. I think that's a really, really good final word. Brandon, thank you so much for being a part of the Side B podcast. I've loved hearing your story and your insights, and you've certainly given us a lot to think about. So thanks for coming on. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being with me today on the Side B podcast to hear Brandon's story. If you want to hear more from him, you might want to visit his Facebook page called Crooked Sticks. I've included a link in the episode notes. If you're also interested in the book that he referenced, Cold Case Christianity by J. Warner Wallace, I've also included a link in the episode notes so that you can locate that. For questions and feedback about this episode, you can reach me by email at thesidebpodcast at cslewisinstitute.org. If you enjoyed it, subscribe and share this new podcast with your friends and your social network. In the meantime, I'll be looking forward to seeing you next time where we'll be listening to the other side.